podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast. Today is Wednesday, the 31st of May, the final day of May. And tomorrow we begin June. The summer is here for real. The heat is here, which is nice. And today we are just going to make it up as we go along. What I wanted to do was talk about some of the awards, give my view on the awards Thought we might have some look at some uh, look at some bad football takes and do some news and some gossip and that will pretty much get us out the gap for today. So yesterday, Pep Guardiola was named the League Managers Association Manager of the Year. The third time Guardiola has won the award, uh, which is called the Sir Alex Ferguson Trophy. It's voted for by managers across all of the divisions. Uh, Frankly, I don't think Pep was deserving of the award this year. For Pep to win the league is expected every year now. There's one team in the Premier League who've shown any capability of challenging City over the past five, six years. Six years. And that's Liverpool. And Liverpool were very clearly not going to be in the race from early on. City didn't even reach the 90-point bracket this season, which does hint at a bit of underperformance in the league, but they did what they needed to do to win the title. They didn't do any more, they didn't do any less. They just did what they needed to do. 
Pep did what we all expected him to do. He won the league. City are expected to win the league. When you spend that much money and you break that many rules, you better win the league. For me, Arteta overperformed with his Arsenal team. Now, he bottled it at the end of the season, so I wouldn't have him on my on my shortlist. Eddie Howe massively overachieved this season, so I would have him. I would have De Zerbi taking over as he did getting Brighton into Europe for the first time. It's an incredible achievement. I would have Unai Emery again taking over in the circumstances he took over with Villa having taken nine points from 11 games and he maintained the Champions League pace for the time he was in charge, which was, you know, two thirds of the season. So he would be in, took over relegated a relegation pace team and transformed them to Champions League pace. Just think about that. And then I would say Marco Silva, I think keeping Fulham in the top half all season warrants consideration, especially as, you know, first time back in the league. And Thomas Frank, who I think did an outstanding job with Brentford this year, would have made Europe in other seasons with the points tally, with the performance. Only lost nine times all season. Second season syndrome wasn't a thing for them. We've seen it uh, hit many teams in the past, but Brentford were able to just work their way comfortably through it and finish top half. I think all five of those overperformed with their teams. I don't think Pep overperformed in the league. This is based on the league. It's not based on the cup. It's not based on the Champions League. And let's be honest, Pep winning an FA Cup wouldn't be overachieving either. Pep winning the Champions League isn't overachieving either. Look at the money they've spent. You see, this is the the issue with Pep. Is There's no question he's a great, great manager, but he always plays with the deck stacked in his favour. Pep has never been an underdog as a manager. Never once, never once for one game has Pep been an underdog. Not once in his entire managerial career. Took over at Barcelona, got handed the greatest academy class in history. That Barcelona team were never once underdogs. He was given plenty of money to spend. He spent a lot of it badly. He went to Bayern. He took over a Bayern team that just won a treble, were European champions, win the Bundesliga every year. Never once was he an underdog with Bayern. And then he joined City. And they've never once been an underdog. They've always spent the most money above or below the table. We know what they've done. They know what they've done. They can deny it till they're blue in the face. The evidence is there. They've never, ever been underdogs. And he's never been an underdog in his entire managerial career. Nor was he an underdog for most of his playing career. You see, Pep is a flat-track bully. And I don't know if Pep could do what Klopp has done at Dortmund and at Liverpool. I don't think he could. I don't know if he could do what Simeone has done at Atletico Madrid. I don't think he could. I don't know how Pep would react if he didn't have everything in his favour. If he didn't have every advantage. I don't know how Pep would react. I don't know how he'd perform. He's a great, great manager, but he's never had to overcome any adversity. Never. He's always had everything going for him. From the day he walked into the Barcelona job until the day he walks out of the City job, he will never have experienced what it's like to be an underdog. To have to overcome, to have to do things the hard way. He's always been able to do things the easy way. He's always been able to reach for the checkbook. Or he's been handed great teams. He was handed a really, really good team at City. Did he make them better? Absolutely. He was handed a great team at Bayern. Did he make them better? No, not really was handed a really, really good team at Barca plus Lionel Messi. Did he make them better? Absolutely. Absolutely. The team he sculpted there were amazing, but he was given every helping hand. 
we're rewarding somebody for basically the managerial equivalent of being born with a silver spoon in his mouth. For me, I would go Eddie Howe, Emery, Deserby, Frank and Silva as my top five this year. That would be my top five in the manager of the year race. As for player of the year, Erling Haaland is going to sweep the board. That's clear as day. Now, should he? I mean, based on the normal criteria, yes. He scored a ridiculous amount of goals. So, yeah, fine. Me, I would rather value performance than just goals. Because, like, let's be honest, Erling Haaland has had a lot of really poor games this season. A lot of really poor games. Even games he's scored in, he's been really poor. And I don't like to just judge players on a single action in a game. Because a player can be terrible for 89 minutes and 59 seconds, score, and you'll have people claiming, oh, he was great. Or they have an assist and you'll have people say, oh, he was great. Or they play brilliantly for the same amount of time, make one mistake, it costs the team the goal, and all of a sudden they've had a stinker. And I just don't like viewing the game that way. So, for me, Gomerish was the best player in the league up until about March. And then I thought Odegaard overtook him. And I thought even as his team fell apart around him, Odegaard continued to step up and step up and step up. And he would be my footballer of the year. Martin Odegaard would be my footballer of the year. Gamerish would be second. And I would probably give Haaland third. Again, because of the, oh, Harry Kane, to be fair, I, I would go Harry Kane third. Harry Kane put together a ridiculous season in very, very tough situation with no help at all. Like, the other great players in that Spurs team are Hyungman Son, who had a really bad season, which he's talked about openly, and Christian Romero, who has also had a really poor season and, in truth, has probably not been sober since the World Cup. So, like, Haaland scored 36 goals. King got 30 in the league. They probably have a similar number of penalties this season. So I'm not going to hold that against Haaland. But if you're telling me Erling Haaland does as much in general play as Harry Kane, I'm telling you you're watching a different sport to what I'm watching. Haaland, for large chunks of the first half of the season, made City worse because they had to play a certain way to integrate him into the team. And when it didn't click, they were poor. Now, he did end the season with a decent number of Premier League assists, eight. But most of them are very simple layoffs. They're not where he's done anything more than take the ball in and lay it off. Whereas with Kane, like, he is actually creating chances constantly for other players. He only ended up with three assists. But his three assists were more impressive than... Haaland's eight because he was actually creating the opportunity not laying it off and somebody else having to do all the work I would go Kane over Haaland on the season for team of the year I've seen some belters I did the Garth Crooks one it was appalling I've seen this mess Uh, Opta did a stats based team of the season. So they went with David Raya and goal. Now I don't really mind that. Raya had a good season. Trippier, Diaz, Akanji, Akanji, and Zinchenko as the back for a diamond midfield of Rodri, Rice, De Bruyne and Odegaard and Haaland and Kane up front. Declan Rice had a bad season. He was poor the majority of the season. Rodri was really good. Odegaard was great. 
KDB was very good, not maybe not at his normal level, but still, still a team of the year player. Ray has not been the best goalkeeper this year. Akanji hasn't been anywhere close to one of the best defenders in the league this season. I can see the logic behind Zinchenko, but there's no question he makes them worse defensively. And Declan Rice is just laughable. So I've been back and forth on this, and I finally have settled on my team of the year. Now, again, look, you're entitled to think otherwise. And by that, I mean you're entitled to be wrong. So here's my team of the year. Goalkeeper has to be Alison Becker. I, I don't think there's any real argument that Alison Becker hasn't been the best keeper in the league by a comfortable margin. Playing behind a dreadful Liverpool team, he is the only reason they finished in the top half this season, let alone fifth. They wouldn't have been a top half team with basically any other goalkeeper in the league. Right back, I would go with Trippier. I think it's a very weak group of right backs in the league this year. You could make a case for Ben White. I wouldn't personally, but you could if you wanted to. Trent had a bad year. Walker had a very poor first half of the season and was injured for um, for a period of time. Reese James had a poor year and has been injured a lot. United's right-back situation has been middling. I mean, Wan-Bissaka and Delo have probably had their best seasons at the club, splitting time at right-back, but neither have been much better than average. He'd probably give them both a 6 out of 10 on the season. And after them, I just don't think anybody else warrants mention. So we'll go with Kieran Trippier. Left back, for me, it's Nathan Aki, and it's Nathan Aki by a considerable margin. I will give mention, an honourable mention, to Purvis Estupinen, who I think had a very good season. I think his addition for Brighton, replacing Kukurea, who they sold for 60-plus million, making them a £45 million profit. Uh, I think that's one of the best bits of business we've seen all season. But Nathan Aki was the best left-back in the league. Uh, Centre-backs, I will go with Ruben Diaz. I think, particularly since after the World Cup, I think he's been outstanding. Next to him, Sven Botman. Not even a competition. Sven Botman's been the best centre-back in the league this year. He has just gotten better and better and better as the season went on. Newcastle finishing with the joint best defensive record in the league, and he is the primary reason for that. So that's my back for Trippier, Diaz, Botman, and Aki. In midfield, this will be controversial, but I don't care. It's right. Gamerish is one, and Moises Caicedo is two. I'm going to play a box midfield. We're going to go 4-2-2-2. Gamerish was the best player in a Newcastle team that massively overperformed this season. I just don't see any argument against putting him in. Rodri was excellent from February on. Gamerish was great from August, as was Moises Caicedo. Moises Caicedo was the best player in a Brighton team that finished sixth. And they deserve to have a player included in team of the season. Some people will say Lewis Dunk. I've gone back and watched most of the goals they've conceded this season. And Lewis Dunk did have a good season. He was also at fault for a lot of the goals they conceded. He made judgment errors. His lack of pace caught him out a couple of times. And that Everton game, I just can't get out of my mind. He was shocking. Neither Botman or Diaz had a game anywhere close to that bad. Uh, So I'm going with Caicedo as my Brighton player, and I think he warrants it. Game after game, he went up against the best midfielders in the league and dominated them. Two attacking midfielders are easy picks. It's Martin Odegaard, it's Kevin De Bruyne. There's no reason to to get into it. Um, And up front, I'm going to pick Kane, and I'm going to pick Haaland. Saka would have been in my team of the season, but his drop-off for the last 10 games was so stark that I can't reward him. Um, Rashford had a great run off the back of the World Cup and then was poor for two months he was also poor for a chunk before the World Cup so I'm not rewarding him Salah had a great season numbers wise but not a great season performance wise 
so I'm not putting him in. I've seen Martinelli in some of these, and he had a very good season, there's no question, but not good enough to warrant a place in my team of the year. So, Allison, Trippier, Diaz, Botman, Aki, Gimerish, Caicedo, De Bruyne, Odegaard, Kane, and Haaland is my team of the season. Uh, for signing of the season, I think it's hard to look beyond Haaland because of the goals he scored. But just in my team of the season, I have Sven Botman, who had an incredible season. And I think improved his club more than Haaland improved City because City have won the last two titles in a row. And if we look at the league table, they took more points last year than they did this year. They scored more goals last year than they did this year. So, yes, he's worked out brilliantly. But I think Sven Botman improved Newcastle more. Newcastle last season finished 11th and conceded 62 goals. This season, they finished fourth and they conceded 33 goals. I'm going to give it to the guy who's the biggest reason behind that. Sven Botman is my signing of the season. Flop of the season has got to be Richarlison. There's just there's actually no competition here for this award. It is him, and it is him by a country mile. If we just look at the Premier League and nothing else, so we put aside other competitions. One goal in a thousand minutes. So not only did he have some injury issues, which aren't his fault, but do contribute. Scored one goal. A goal every thousand minutes. That's awful. And he played 27 times. So I don't hear that he missed most of the season. He played 27 times in the Premier League. He wasn't good enough to warrant more minutes is one of the big issues. He was dreadful, so I'm giving it to him. He was booked three times this season for taking his shirt off for goals that were not given. Think about that for a second. All season, all competitions, he played 35 games and scored three goals. He was booked four times just for taking his shirt off including the goal against Liverpool that did count. So I'm just not, I'm not having that he's been, that he's been good. I'm just not. Um, or that he, Sorry, I'm not having that he hasn't been dreadful. I might be wrong. He might have only been booked three times. But either way, either way. Yeah, he was only booked three times. He was booked against West Ham. He was booked against Fulham when he thought he'd scored last-minute winners in both, uh, and he was booked against Liverpool when he did score, what he thought was a last-minute equaliser. But I'm not having that he hasn't been a train wreck this season. So he's my flop of the season. Um, Biggest disappointment of the season? I'd say Virgil van Dijk. Given what we know he's capable of and given how he performed... I think Virgil's got to be the biggest disappointing. If we're looking for worst manager, it's got to be Frank. It's got to be Frank Lampard. He's just awful. Genuinely terrible. And the spell at Everton was a disaster. The spell back at Chelsea's been a disaster. It's got to be Frank. It just does. I'm sorry. Um... Best young player? Now, I'm not going to include Haaland, even though technically he does qualify. I'm going to go for Caicedo because, again, the kid walked into the league in the back half of last season, played about seven games, and then walked into this season like he was the best midfielder on the planet. He's been outstanding all year. A great, great midfielder. So that's it. That are those are my Premier League awards. I'll probably put them together in, in article form on the EPL Index website this week. 
um, for no other reason than just to annoy some people who won't hear this, uh, but they might read it on the website. Um, we might as well just take a break. going to be a fairly short show, I think, today, because uh, I've got some stuff that I need to do. So just going to take a break now. And when we come back, we will have a look at some bad football takes, do some news, do the gossip and be done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, it is time that we dig into our bad football takes. And the reason I decided to do this today, and I think I'm going to be disappointed, I think they've actually stopped tweeting. They have. They've actually stopped tweeting off their account, which is desperately disappointing, so we're going to have to make up something else to do. Um, The reason I was going to do this, because I saw this tweet earlier, now, it's based off a piece out of a newspaper. I don't know which newspaper. I'm guessing the Mail. And it was about Chelsea and what they could do in terms of sales this year. So there's a list of players. And what they paid in total for this group of players was $259.5 million. Pulisic, Kovacic, Zayic, Kante, Koulibaly, Mendy, Aubameyang, Felix... Aspilicueta, Zakaria, Hudson Odoi, and then Mount Gallagher, Chalaba, and Loftus Cheek. And these are apparently the players that Chelsea are looking to sell, or at least open to selling this summer. And the suggestion here is that Chelsea could get 280 million for this group. Now, you'll notice that Romelu Lukaku is not among that list, but however. The suggestion here is that Juventus or Napoli would pay $25 million for Pulisic. Um, Italian clubs, notorious for not doing that. Notorious for taking players on loans with obligations to buy. And then if they decide they're not going to be good enough, they just stop playing them. So that won't happen. Kovacic, $35 million to Man City or Manchester United. Now that could happen. But he has one year left on his deal. He's 29 pushing 30. And he's injury prone. So I don't know if they'll get that much. But I could see that move happening. Him going to one of those clubs. At 15 million for Zayic. AC Milan, Inter Milan and PSG are the clubs linked. Um, AC Milan have long been linked. And PSG have been linked recently. So I could see them getting 15 million. Nothing for Kante. Because he's at a contract. A loan for Koulibaly to Juventus. $25 million for Mendy, who's lost his place to Kepa, having been poor himself for 12 months. Now, the club's linked Inter and Nice. Nice are not going to pay $25 million for... I think he's 30. Is he 30 or 31? Um, nice are not going to pay that kind of money for... Edouard Mendy. Just not going to happen. They might pay 15. He's 31. They might pay 15. They're not going to pay any more than that. Inter have a significantly better goalkeeper in Andre Onana. So I don't know why they would do that. Onana has said he's happy there. They seem to want to keep him. Nothing for Aubameyang. Because they just want rid of him. Uh, They think they'll get 5 million for Aspilicueta. I'd be surprised. I could see him leaving, but I think he'd leave on a free. Ten million for Hudson Adoy. This is a player they were demanding fifty million for a couple of years ago. Uh, the club link is Nottingham Forest. I could actually see that, and I think that is realistic. Twenty-five million for Chalaba. I, I'd have a, a tough time seeing, especially Inter Milan, who've got no money who's the club mentioned. I'd have a real tough time seeing that. $25 million for Ruben Loftus-Cheek? That doesn't seem likely at all. With one year left on his deal, hasn't ever really put together anything resembling a consistent run of form. $40 million for Conor Gallagher. Now, I know that Everton offered $40 million in January, but that was a very silly man trying to cling on to his job and doing stupid things. 
Um, Newcastle, West Ham and Palace linked. If Palace get him, it'll be 25 million. Newcastle, if Howe is allowed run the recruitment, maybe I could see it at 40 million. I don't think West Ham would pay 40. And then 75 million for Mason Mount. 75 million. He's got 12 months left in his contract. Mason Mount with four years left in his contract isn't a 75 million pound player. He's a 60 million pound player. With a year left, he's a 40 million pound player at most. You might pay 45. If you paid 50, you'd feel a little bit queasy. You'd ideally want to be paying 35 to 40 for Mason Mount with a year left on his deal. Those figures are mental. The idea that Chelsea could do that and get 280 million for that collective of players is absolute insanity. If this is their plan, they're in serious trouble. Serious trouble. Now, they do have a bunch of players to sell, and those players they've listed are certainly among those they can sell, but there's not a whole lot of... There's not a whole lot there that's going to bring in big money. Mount will bring in good money, but I don't think they're going to get that type. Maybe United will be stupid and pay 55 for him, but that's about the height of it. And as for the rest, they will be, I would imagine significantly lower like if they sell Chalaba which they shouldn't I think they probably get 20 Loftus-Cheek 15 max Gallagher 30 Aspilicueta free Mendy 15 Kovacic maybe 30 Pulisic will be alone with an option to buy Zayic maybe 10 they're not getting 280 million out of that group. They're absolutely fooling themselves. They think that's something that's likely to happen. There's just no way. There's just no way. Uh, Brentford have made a signing. They have signed Mark Flecken from Freiburg for 11 million. Uh, he has four Dutch caps. His move is subject to international clearance and a work permit. He kept 13 clean sheets for Freiburg this past season. Um, he is stylistically quite similar to David Rea. I I just don't understand the move given his age because one of the things Brentford do is they buy players who they can sell for a profit and there'll be no resale value in a 29-year-old. It it seems like an odd one. I would have thought Queeving Kelleher would have made more sense for them, but if they were working with a certain budget, and they've got other things they need to do this summer as well, then fair enough. He is a good goalkeeper. Just from a process point of view, it it doesn't really make the most sense for me. Um, Chelsea have informed Atletico Madrid that they do not want to take Joe Felix on a permanent deal. I'm not sure it was ever really an option for them. But uh yeah, that's that's what's happening there. Uh pick your combined Man City, Manchester United eleven asks BBC. Right, well I would take Ederson over De Gea, but I'm not a huge fan of either. Uh right back Oh, this is ugly. It's an ugly list of right backs. We're just gonna pick Walker because the rest aren't great. Left back will be Aki. Centre backs, I'll go Varan and Diaz. Midfield is Rodri. KDB. And Bruno probably deserves to be in the other spot. He is probably the third best midfielder, but I like balance even when I'm doing these things just for the crack. So I'm going to pick Gundogan. Uh, In attack, I'll take Rashford on the left. Haaland is the obvious choice through the middle. And I suppose Phil Foden. So I've got two United players and nine City players uh, in my in my team. And I don't think I'm reaching at all, to be honest. I think that's fair enough. Am I wrong? I don't think I'm wrong. I, I think that is the team. I think that's the team that you'd pick. Um, 
you know what we'll do? Do you know what we'll do? To fill to fill the rest of the time we have today, which is about ten minutes or so, we'll take a look at the big game that's on tonight, which is the Europa League final between Sevilla and AS Roma. Sevilla have had one of the stranger seasons of any club anywhere in Europe. So they began the season with Julian Lopetegui as manager. And the season started very, very poorly. They lost three of their first four, taking only one point from those four games before beating Espanyol. After beating Espanyol, they won one of their next 10 games. So 14 games in, they had two wins. They sat in 18th place and Lopetegui had been booted out the door and sent on his way. He had been replaced by Jorge Sampaoli, who's obviously most notably the former Chile manager. He'd been with Sevilla before. He was Argentina manager for a while. He'd been at Marseille. He's bounced around very much your journeyman manager. Uh, one of the sort of disciples of Bielsa in many ways. Rarely stays anywhere for very long. Like, his first job, alumni de Castilla, de, de Casilda, sorry, two years. Belgrano, less than a year. Argentino de Rosario, a year. Back to Casilda. To Casalda, less than a year. Back to Belgrano, to Belgrano, less than a year. Uh, some team I don't know. Argentino de Rosario again. Back to Casalda. He basically bounced around the same couple of jobs for the first seven years of his managerial career. Then he joined Juan Arich, who are in Peru. He was there less than a year. Joined Sports Boys, also in Peru, for a year. Coronel Bellonese, they're also in Peru. He was there for a year, left, came back for less than a year, then moved on to Sporting Crystal, or Cristal, also less than a year. Then he joined O'Higgins in Chile, who's there a year. Amalek in Ecuador, a year. Universidad de Chile, that's one of the bigger clubs in South America. He was there two years, and off the back of that, he got the Chile job. He was with Chile for four years. Then he joined Sevilla. He was there for a year, and he went to the Argentina job, and he was there for a year. And then he went to Santos for a year. Then he took a year off. Then he joined Atletico Monero for a year, then Marseille for a year, and then Sevilla for the period he was there this, this year. And now he's at Flamengo. This man does not like to stay places very long, I think, Ownership get fed up with him. His football is very feast or famine. Things either go really well or really poorly. He's got overall a pretty good track record and he has had success. Uh, with Universidad de Chile, he won the Copa Sudamericana. He won the league title three times. He won the Copa America with Chile. And he's highly regarded because his teams are fun to watch. For similar reasons to Bielsa. Fiery personality. Team is absolute hilarious to watch because the things they do are mental. His teams are never good defensively. But, you know, they're fun. And... um He lasted until the 21st of March. By the 21st of March, they had pulled themselves up the table a little bit into 14th. And then he got the heave-ho. And he was replaced by Jose Luis Mendelebar. Now, Mendelebar had been knocking around again, a kind of a journeyman manager, Basconia, Bilbao, Reserves. Basconi again, Lanzarote, Ibar, Athletic Bilbao, Valladolid, Osasuna, Levante. Ibar was where he really kind of made his name and he really sort of settled somewhere for 
a significant period of time. He was there six years. He left and joined Alibar, or sorry, Alves, and that didn't go very well. He was sacked after four months. But since taking the job with Sevilla, they have found form and they have been much better and they've looked much more organised. They've only lost twice in the league under his watch. Once was to Real Madrid. Once, once was to Girona, which was a poor result. But overall, they've been much better. Six league wins, three draws and, and two defeats in 11 league games. That's a, a really good run, considering what the season has been. They got to the quarterfinals of the Copa del Rey. They were poor in the Champions League group stage. Lost to City, drew at Copenhagen, lost to Dortmund, drew at Dortmund, beat Copenhagen at home and then lost to City. Went into the Europa League, snuck past PSV, snuck past Fenerbahce. But then they did take off and they came back from 2-0 down to draw in Old Trafford. They hammered United at home. And then they outlasted Juventus in the last round. And there's a lot of good players there. There's talent in defence. I really like Nianzu. I really like Loic Bade. He's been very good since going there. I still don't understand what went wrong at at Forest, rather. Jesus Navas is still knocking around. It's probably time for him not to be in the team as much. But, you know, they've got Montiel at right back as well, who's another good option. I think he's the better option. Alex Tellez is one option left back. Kareem Rakik has played there. Acuna has played there. So they've got options, though not someone you'd say is nailed on in either fullback spot. The midfield is a lot of hard-working players, but talented ball players. And in attack, they've got Ocampos, they've got Suso, they've got Rafa Mir, they've got En Nazuri, they've got Eric Lamella, they've got Brian Hill on loan. There's, there's a lot of talent in attack. They've seen their transfer policy of past years start to catch up with them. You know, they always try to do things on the cheap, they're always working to a tight budget. They're selling players just to balance the books. This past season, they sold Diego Carlos. They sold Jules Kunde. They loaned out Ocampos to get his wages off the bill. They brought in Isco for reasons not only to themselves. They released him. There's just been a lot of movement, a lot of toing and froing, and a lot of players that were brought in, like Dahlberg and Delaney, who didn't work out and are now out on loan. Um. I'd like to think that Monchi will rectify the errors of the last couple of seasons. But I don't know if they're capable of it because they just don't ever seem to have any money to spend. They'll probably have to sell one or two just to afford to bring in, you know, the players that he wants. Their record, obviously, in this competition is incredible. They're by far the most successful team in the history of this tournament. They've won it six times. No one else has won it more than three. They've only been to six finals, so they've never lost, whereas the teams that have lost, that have won three, Milan have lost two finals, Liverpool lost one, Juve lost one, Atletico Madrid have won three and never lost a final. But nobody's been to more finals and they've still won them all. That is That itself is incredible. But someone's oh has got to go, as they say in boxing, and that is what the case is tonight, because their opponents are AS Roma. And AS Roma are managed by Jose Mourinho, and Jose Mourinho has never lost a European final. He won a UEFA Cup, or Europa League, with Porto back in 2003. He won the Champions League with Porto in 2004. He won the Champions League again with Inter Milan in 2010. He won the Europa League again with Roma, sorry, with Manchester United in 2016. And then with Roma, he won the Conference League last season. So Mourinho himself has an amazing record in European football. Five major European trophies. Unbeaten in those finals. 
He's had success everywhere except Spurs. And by his own admission, the biggest reason was he was never never able to connect with the club because he was at Spurs largely for COVID. It wasn't fans for most of his tenure there. He took over in mid-November. By mid-March, football had stopped. So, I think Mourinho is maybe the one who can end Porto's voodoo over this competition. Now, Roma don't have a glorious history in Europe. They've won the Conference League once. They've lost a UEFA Cup final, or as it was at the time, Europa League now, back in 1991. And they've lost a European Cup final in 1984. That one was to Liverpool. The UEFA Cup that they lost was to Inter, uh, Inter Milan. So their, their European history is not stellar. It's a patch on what we see from Sevilla. But Mourinho is a different beast. Now, their season's not been great. They came in with big expectations. They spent a decent amount of money in the summer. Now, some of it was just on large signing-on fees for the likes of Dybala and Bellotti. Big loan fees for Wijnaldum. And then and Maddie Camera, and then a loan fee for Diego Lorente in January. Big signing fee for Nemanja Matic as well. I should point out there was expectations that Mourinho would get them into the top four this season, and for much of the season it looked like he would. They were third in week thirty of the season. Uh, they have since dropped to sixth, having been as low as seventh, because their domestic form has fallen off a cliff and they haven't won any of their last seven games. And overall, they've lost 11 games, which is far too many. But their focus has been on this competition. They earned the right to play in this competition by winning the Conference League last year. They finished second in their group behind Real Betis. They had lost their first game away to Ludogorets, which was a, a big shock. Then they beat HJK. They lost at home to Betis, drew away to Betis beat HJK at home, and then beat Ludogorets in the final game to advance to the knockout rounds. They lost away to Red Bull Salzburg, then beat them at home. They beat Real Sociedad at home, then drew away from home. Lost away to Feyenoord and then hammered them at home. And then beat Leverkusen and lost, sorry, and drew away. They have only won once away from home in the competition this year. That was a way to HJK Helsinki. Probably the weakest team that they faced. Their away form in the league hasn't been great either. Only seven home wins from 19. Sorry, seven away wins from 19 and a negative goal difference. In the Copa Italia, they were bounced out in the second round, or which was the quarterfinals really, by Cremonese, which was disappointing for them. But their away form has been poor. That's just a fact. The final will take place at the Pushkas Arena in Budapest, which obviously is neutral ground, but it is, in theory, an away game for both sides, but an away game for Roma, where they haven't excelled. So they have to overcome that. They have to overcome the fact that they're in a poor run of form. They have to overcome the fact that some of their players are carrying injuries. Some of their players are just not in the right frame of mind for a game like this. But I do think they have a talent advantage. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Rui Patricio, but I do think overall he's probably a better goalkeeper. Not by much, but just by a bit from Bono. Maybe, it's maybe closer than you think. Bono's actually quite good. Maybe Bono's better. Maybe he just is better. Defensively, I think this is where Roma have the advantage. Ibanez is good. Smalling is reborn under Mourinho. 
Lorente is decent. He probably won't play. Zeki Chalik will play right wing back. Spinozola, if fit, I don't. I don't know what injuries they have at the moment. Uh, if fit, he'd be the left wing back. Mancini is good. Marash Kambula is good. Mancini, Smalling, and Ibanez is probably the starting three if they're all fit. Let's have a look at Roma's most recent game. Uh, where are we? They played Fiorentina at the weekend and lost 2-1. And they rested most of their team. So that tells us nothing. Let's look at the Leverkusen away, uh, the Leverkusen game that they won. So they played Cristante as the middle centre-back and Smalling was on the bench. He might do that again, but my assumption is he will play Smalling as one of the centre-backs. Cristante does fit well there as a sweeper. He's a midfielder playing in the middle of a back three. I do quite like it. Um, Celic and Spinozola were the wing backs. Bove and Matic in midfield. I'm assuming it will be Matic and Wijnaldum with Pellegrini as the 10. Again, I'm, I'm speculating that these players are fit. Tammy Abraham will be up front. I'm just not sure who'll play alongside him. If Dybala is fit, it'll be him. But is he fit? He hasn't played at all recently. Didn't make the bench for a couple of games. So I don't know if he's fit. But I think Roma's best 11 is better than Sevilla's best 11. I think Roma have them a big advantage in terms of the managers. Jose is one of the greatest managers of all time. He just is. There's no other way to look at it. He just is. You might not like the personality, but look at what he's won. Two league titles, UEFA Cup, Champions League with Porto. With Porto, Champions League. Three league titles, FA Cup, three league cups with Chelsea. The only knock on him there is he didn't win the European Cup. And he was sacked twice, but the first time he was sacked because... Abramovich made a stupid mistake, which he apologized for multiple times since. The second time, he kind of got himself sacked with his behavior. With Inter, he won two league titles, a Coppa Italia, and he won a Champions League with Inter in an era where Barcelona were by far the best team in the world, where Manchester United were incredible, where Chelsea, managed by Carlo Ancelotti, were outstanding. He won a European Cup with Inter. He went to Real and won a league title. Won a Copa del Rey the first season, a league title the second season. Going up against the best team Barcelona have ever had. He went to United, who were a train wreck. He won the EFL Cup. And he won the UEFA Cup. Then he finished second and he said that was one of the best achievements of his career. And people laughed. And when you look at how they've been since he left, I think he was right. And then he joined Roma and he won the Conference League. The only place he's really failed is Spurs. Now, you can look at, you know, Benfica when he was there first, he got let go after 11 games, but that was because they wouldn't give him a permanent contract. It had nothing to do with him. He won six and drew three of his 11 games. He went to Unia, had 23 games there, half a season. Won 12, drew 8, lost only 3. He was a success there. He was a success, a runaway success with Porto. Runaway success with Chelsea. Runaway success with Inter. He was a success with Real. Something changed in him at Real, though, when the dressing room turned on him. That was something he'd never experienced before. Because the two things he was always great at was getting... The players to buy in completely to what he had to sell and then getting the fans to do the same. But he still won a league title. He went back to Chelsea. He clearly wasn't the same, but he did win a league title. He went to United. He had success there. It's just that spell at Spurs, that 18 months at Spurs. It's the lowest win percentage of his career until Roma, 51.16% from 86 games. But... He had them in a cup final. And had he won a cup, that would have been only the fourth cup Spurs had won since 1984. 
Like, that's not a club that wins much. And he had them in a cup final and they lost. And then he joined Roma and his win rate is the lowest it's ever been. But he won a European trophy for them, their first ever. And people will say, oh, well, the football's not great. The football wins. And that's what matters ultimately at the end of the day. I'm going to back Mourinho to win this game tonight. I'm saying Sevilla won Porto. Sorry, Sevilla won Roma 2. That's my pick for tonight. I don't think it's going to be a fantastic game to watch. But I think it could be a fascinating game. And I'm going to back Jose. So there we go. A couple of little bits of news. Uh, Ashley Young is to leave Aston Villa following the end of his contract this summer after a two-year spell. He's played far more than I would imagine he or they expected that he would when he signed. Um, I'll be curious to see where he goes next. My hope is he goes to Watford because when he joined... Villa, he picked Villa over Watford. I'd like him to go back to Watford and finish off where he started. Because I think there's just, you know, there's a nice cycle there to his career. He's 37. He's still in great condition. Like, you wouldn't, if you watched him play and watched Milner play, you wouldn't think they were the same age. Ashley Young has far more about him these days than Milner does. And when you think back on the career he's had, he started off playing in the second tier with Watford, so to end there would be quite good. Brought Helped them get into the Premier League. Spent five years at, or four and a half years at Villa. Moved from Watford midway through the first season in the Premier League. Um, earned a move to United. Was at United for... Eight and a half years, spent a year and a half then with Inter Milan and now two years with Aston Villa. Won a Premier League with United, the last Premier League that they won. Won an FA Cup, an EFL Cup and the Europa League. Also won the Serie A title. Like he's had a he's had a quality career. PFA Team of the Year three times, once in the Championship, twice in the Premier League, both with Villa. Uh, PFA Young Player of the Year while at Villa. Probably never fully fulfilled his potential, but has had a great career. 677 senior games, 85 goals. When you consider he was largely moved to fullback midway through his tenure at United and has pretty much remained there ever since, it's not a bad goal return. 39 caps for England. Probably deserved more over the years. When Villa were really good under O'Neill, he was the best player in that team. He was the most exciting player to watch in that team. He's good off both feet. Could cross really well with either foot. Could pass well. Could shoot well. Was great at cutting back in and just finding the top corner on right-footed curlers. But I always like watching him go on the outside and just whip the ball in with his left foot while moving at full pace. Could play either wing, obviously. Has played both full-back spots. Has played games in midfield. Very, very versatile. Very underrated. Um, 57 appearances for Villa since coming back. I'd imagine they thought, you know, 15, 20 games a season. 25 last year, 32 this year. Uh, he'll be missed. He brought some leadership and balance to that team when they needed it. Moving away from the game of football and more just to a footballer, uh, Spartak Moscow forward Quincy Promes is being prosecuted, prosecuted for his alleged involvement in drugs trafficking. Promes is accused of being involved with smuggling. Now, just brace yourself for this. 1,362 kilograms of cocaine to the Netherlands. 1,362 kilograms. Like, you're not putting that in the glove compartment or hiding it under the seat of the car. 
This is a shipload he's bringing in. A hearing is scheduled for Monday. The former Netherlands international was previously charged with attempted murder and manslaughter in 2021. He was accused of seriously injuring a relative's knee in a stabbing attack at a family party in July of 2020. He has denied the allegations against him. What an absolute lunatic. I always liked him as a player. When he was at 20, I liked him. When he went to Spartak the first time, I liked him. Went to Sevilla, it didn't really work out. Went back to the Netherlands to play for Ajax and just... I don't think got on with people. Um, he's playing regularly for Spartak while all of this is going on. Like he's been under investigation for this for a while. And he's just carrying on playing his football, doesn't seem to care. Madness. Absolute madness. He's always been problematic, but what a lunatic. 1,362 kilograms. Right, we'll do the gossip. Real Madrid's French forward Karim Benzema is considering a 400 million euro two-year contract offer from Saudi Arabia. He should get in touch with Quincy Promise. He could buy some stuff off him. Um, Arsenal have no intention of selling Emil Smith Rowe and hope he will return to fitness and form at the European Under-21. Championship. I'm not sure how he would return to fitness and form given he never gets to play. But I agree with not selling him. He's he's far too talented to sell. They should loan him though. They should let him go and get minutes somewhere. Uh Luis Enrique is in talks with Napoli but is keen to join a Premier League side. I think he has f- full focus on the Spurs job, if I'm honest. Tottenham and Newcastle both want James Madison and Harvey Barnes. I don't believe Anything coming out of Spurs. Not one word. They have no manager. They have no sporting director. There's no one to make decisions. There's no one to decide what players they need. They don't know what way they'll play. So don't believe any of it. Tottenham intend to take up their option to turn Dejan Kulisewski's loan into a permanent switch. Again, I'd say wait and see. An agreement between Brighton manager Roberto De Zerbi and Moises Caicedo will see the 21-year-old depart this summer. Um, there are three teams in contention with Chelsea, the leading contender. First of all, I don't believe Chelsea, the leading contender. Secondly, I think there's a lot more than three clubs. Thirdly, there would be no agreement between De Zerbi and Caicedo because that's not how Tony Bloom operates. If there's an agreement, it's between Tony Bloom and Caicedo. So Fabrizio Romano is just making things up as he goes along, as usual. Um, Manchester City and Arsenal keeping tabs on Wilfred Nonto. I could see I could see Arsenal making sense for him. Manchester United will not sign Vudveg Horst or Marcel Sabitzer on permanent deals. I'm surprised they're not keeping Sabitzer. Real Valladolid's Spanish right-back Ivan Fresneda has received a lucrative bid from Arsenal. They've been in for him for a while. Benjamin Pavard is set to leave Bayern Munich. Aston Villa are interested in Marco Asensio. I wouldn't touch him personally. I think he's played well this year when he needs a contract. Liverpool want Borussia Mönchengladbach's 22-year-old French midfielder, Manu Kone, who's valued at £34.6 million. I would love that move. Juventus are leading the race to sign Christian Pulisic for £20 million. I don't believe they are. Um, FC Porto's Portuguese goalkeeper, Diogo Costa, Look set to join Manchester United, although David De Gea is keen to sign a new deal. Well, they're keen to get him to sign a new deal. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what the situation is there, but they've been linked to Costa for a while. I don't think he's great. He's good, but not great. Wolves have joined Crystal Palace and Chelsea in wanting to sign Steve Biko FC's 19 year old Gambian Ford, Adama Bojang. Bojang. Barcelona manager Xavi says Man City backed out of a deal in which Joe Canseo would have joined in January before he moved to Barn and Loan. Xavi talks a lot, doesn't he? Like, not a whole lot takes place at Barca behind closed doors. 
United States midfielders Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson are likely to leave Leeds following relegation. If I was Leeds, I'd try everything to keep both of them. I'd even give them a pay rise. I know you've dropped the division. I I don't care. Get rid of Ailing and Cooper and give them pay rises. Adams, I think, will definitely leave. Aronson, and, and Adams will be fine to go anywhere and start. He, he's a really good player. Aronson needs to stay at a club like Leeds. He, he's not ready. He hasn't developed well enough as yet. All the talent is there. There's no consistency. I think if he went to the championship and tore it up for a year, even if they didn't come come up, he'd get a huge money move. I think he should stay where he is. Right, that will do me. Sorry it's a bit of a broken show today because what I was hoping for didn't turn out. I probably should have looked into that before I started, but, you know, it is what it is. I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.